Well, how we doing? We good? Good. Where you been for a couple weeks, huh? Man, I am so glad to be back. If you haven't been around the last couple weeks, uh, my wife and I both tested positive for COVID, and uh, we just figured we needed to go ahead and get it out of the way. But uh, honestly, it was one of those things. My, my son tested positive a few months ago, and I said when I got back from that, uh, I thought we, I, I had it as well then, but I didn't. I just had sympathy pains for, with him, and uh, we had te- I had tested negative during that time. We started to quarantine, but this time, we for sure had it. And, uh, you know, everybody has different experiences with it. Thankfully, we weren't, you know, in the need of going to hospital. Our oxygen levels and all that stuff uh, were, were fine. But we, it was rough for us. It was a good solid seven to ten days of just really just hanging in there. Uh, but so many of you guys called, text, prayed for us. Our staff and team members uh, stepped in and led our church. In fact, let's give it up for them. They did such a great job uh, over the last several weeks. And that was one of the most amazing parts about it is knowing that you guys were fine and taken care of because we do have uh, just some amazing, amazing team members that are able to step in, our staff that stepping in and stepping into, stepping up into the roles that God has called them into. And so, so, so incredibly grateful, but glad to be back. And we're going to jump into the word again today. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up in John chapter one. We've been there for the last several weeks now. In fact, this is week six, and I can't wait to get into it with you today. But as always, let's pray before we jump into our text. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. And God, that you have been moving in our midst. God, no matter what is going on in the world around us, God, thank you that you are our constant. You are the rock. And I pray as we open up your word today, that you would speak to us. That is what we are here for. We are here to hear from you. But God, we know that without the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, we can't see that. Our eyes are blinded. So I I pray, God, that you would, through the power of your spirit, open our eyes to see the truth that you have for us today. And God, I pray that when we see that, when we see who you are and what you have done, that we would not only love you for that, that we would not only worship you, but then we would have a desire to want to share that with others. And so God, thank you for our gathering today. And I pray that you would now meet with us in Jesus name. Amen. All right, John chapter one, verses 29 through 34. Now, uh, you know, one of the things with COVID is stamina and stuff. So I'll I'll try my best not to cough or not to get too winded or pass out or any of those kinds of things. All right. But at our Thursday gathering, I made it through fine. And so uh, we'll see. But if I say anything that doesn't make sense or offends you, it was just COVID. All right. Uh, So let's just go ahead and get that established right now. All right. But we're walking through the gospel according to John, and this is week six, like I said, and we've been going kind of back and forth because this is what John the Apostle does in the first chapter of talking about Jesus and then talking about John the Witness or John the Baptist as most people know him. And so we've just kind of been going back and forth, the word, the witness, the word, the witness. And today, again, we're going to see John the Witness talking about Jesus because The whole point of this gospel is for us to know who Jesus is. And I can't wait to get into these verses. Let's jump in. Verse 29 and 30. It says, the next day, he, being John the witness, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Now that phrase right there is so huge. I'm going to read it again and I want us to say it. All right. I just want you to say the word behold. All right. Because that is what we're going to focus on the most. So when I get to that point, let's all say it together. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold. Now, especially if you're watching online, if you're at our Jasper location or you're here in Canton, let's try it one more time, all right? But I want you to, to say it to those through the other side of the screen or, I mean, you gotta be careful not to get you know, particles on the people in front of you, but let's try it again, all right? The next day he saw Jesus come, to, come on, and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. So the title of the message today is Behold, comma, the Lamb of God. Now you and I can sit here and debate about the use of commas, all right? You may be in uh, the, the camp of sinners who believes in the Oxford comma, all right? Now, when I was growing up in English, I mean, everything has changed now. You know, the way they used to teach us to do math now is just like two plus two equals four. Now they make you word problems. It just seems weird to me. But the way I learned it was when you're writing sentences and before the word and, there was not necessary for a comma. Now, again, those of you that are sinners that like to do that stuff, that's fine. We can debate about the use of commas. But whenever you use a comma, you know it's breaking up a sentence, right? It's breaking up a flow of thought. And what's interesting here is John the Baptist doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God. He says, behold, you look at it again, comma, and then gives the title of what you're beholding, the Lamb of God. Now, this word here, behold, is what's called an interjection. And, and John is interjecting at this moment for several reasons. One, because, as you're going to see in just a little bit, remember, John the Baptist is just baptizing. That's where he gets the name. So he's baptizing, and he is the forerunner to Jesus. And if you were here last week, I showed you the map at the end of the gathering and, and showed you where John was baptizing and the significance of that. And so John's just doing his thing. And, and the father had told him, when you see the spirit descend on this person, you will know. So John's doing his thing. And all of a sudden he looks up, sees the spirit. And he's like, whoa, behold. Now the word behold means to look, to pay attention to. Let me give you some of these words. It's, a, it's expressing this emphatic emotion. Look, a marker or point to something, usually following by an emphasis. Look, listen, pay attention to, come now then, behold. So John is calling our attention to, look at Jesus. Look at him. Pay attention to him. Because John was obsessed with Jesus. Now, this is why this is so important of a principle and why we're going to camp out here for a little while and kind of frame up the whole message with this word, with this idea, behold. In fact, I'm going to give you a point to help frame it out, and you might want to write this down, but we become what we behold. We become what we behold. I don't have this reference scripture here on the screen, but you can write it down as a reference. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the apostle Paul, in talking about Jesus, says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding, there's that word, 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the principle is very simple. Paul says, look at him, behold him, uncover your face before him, because when you do that, you will be transformed. And the word transformed there is the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. And that's the idea of, you know, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It means to change. And so Paul was telling us what John was announcing to us. You become what you behold. Let me say it to you like this. Whatever you look at the most is what you're going to become like. So then the question becomes very naturally, what do you look at the most? What are you paying attention to the most? Now, we live in a world where everything is digital, right? We have the world at our fingertips. So a very simple question is, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you behold? I mean, God has so blessed my wife, Lindsay, that she gets to see this every morning. Sometimes people ask her, what's it like being married to a pastor? And she will say, it's like being married to a man. Because that's what I is, right? Ain't nothing special about that. And I'm joking, obviously, because it's much better for me than it is for her. I get to wake up and see her. I get to go to bed and see her. But think about it. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you look at? Is it your spouse? Is it you look outside? Let's be straight. Is, is it the Bible? Maybe some of you. But most often, it's blue light right up in your face. Scrolling. Emails. Stock markets. Right? What's happening today? What's going on politically? What's the last thing that you go to bed to most often? Blue lighting it, right? Messing up your whole sleep pattern. Now, I don't like daylight savings time more than anybody else. I think we should just go back to the way God made it. People are like, oh, let's vote on this new thing. No, 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 let's not. Let's just go back to how God made it because God made it where days are longer in the summer, days are shorter in the winter. I kind of think he knows what he's doing. We don't need to mess with the clock none. It's my personal philosophy. Now, you, you and I can differ politically on that, but I'm just going to go with what God made. Now, the reason why I'm messing with that, obviously, this time change weekend, but but our beholding of other things has messed up our sleep far more than daylight savings time. Because you become what you behold. You are transformed by the thing or the person that you unveil your face to the most. That's just a principle. It's just True, that's, that's not even necessarily uniquely a biblical principle, although it is biblical because I just showed it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that in the case of unbelievers right now, that the God of this world has blinded their eyes from seeing the glory that exists in the face of Jesus Christ. Why would the God of this world be so dead set on you not seeing his face? You not seeing the glory that is in Jesus because he knows if you see him, you'll become like him. So John, the witness, is calling our attention to this fact. Look at him. Behold him. 
Stare at him. Open your eyes. Unveil your face. Uncover everything that you are. This is why you don't have to get your life all together before you come to Jesus or come to church. It's not like he's shocked or confused about who you are anyway. It's not like when you confess to God, God's like, what? I didn't know that. He knew it long before you ever even did it. And that's the beauty of grace. You can come to God, as Hebrews says, and you can lay it all bare. Why? Because he's not scared of seeing the real you. The question is simply, do you spend any time seeing the real him? Spend any time looking, paying attention to him. This is why I got to be honest with you. I don't spend much time now with people who are becoming something other than like Jesus. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about my unsaved neighbors. I'm not talking about the people that I work out with who don't know Jesus. I am commanded to witness to them. I'm commanded to spend time with them. I'm talking about people who claim to be Jesus followers, but spend all their time on politics. Spend all their time jabbering, talking about negativity, pessimistic. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, it is. And ain't no politician going to stop it. Only Jesus. So, so here's what I'm getting at, because if I constantly look at you and listen to you, it's only a matter of time before I'm going to become like you. Let me say it to you like this. The five people that you hang around the most, do you want to become like them? If you don't, you might need a new five because you're going to become like them. And I think that's one of the greatest strategies right now in the, the devil's arsenal against believers is getting them to look at everything else but Jesus. Look at this politician. Look at this vote. Look at this bill. Look at this thing. Look at this thing. Look at this thing. Just don't look at Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus, if you behold Jesus, if you pay attention to Jesus, then you'll actually become like him. And when you become like him, you will then actually move out into that hurting world with the message of Jesus. You will actually move into that environment where by the power of the name of Jesus, those people's outlooks could actually change. But as long as the devil can keep you preoccupied with politics, ain't nobody changing. Look. Why? Because John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't miss that. Who takes away the sin of the world. See, this is what makes Jesus unique. What makes Jesus utterly unique in the landscape of human history is no one else has done what he's done. And no one else can do what he did. Now, any other religious teachers, and you'll hear me say this often around here, and I want you to know something. I'm not being arrogant or intolerant. I'm just being historical. I'm just saying the truth. There has been no other person in human history that did what he did and came back to life again and never died again. It's not happened. 
And this is why, have you noticed this? And if you haven't noticed this and you better start paying attention, it is always whatever worldly system against Christ. Have you noticed that? And this is where Christians, especially in the West, now that culture has, has radically shifted, everybody in America primarily who are believers are shocked by this. Why? Because everybody hates Jesus. Now, why do they hate Jesus and not Muhammad or Buddha or all those other things? Because they know the difference between what Jesus said and what Jesus did and what those other guys said and what they did. It's always an attack against Jesus. Why? John tells you. Because he ranks before me. He who come after me ranks before me. See, no one has done what Jesus has done. He is utterly unique in the landscape of human history. No one has taken away the sins of the world. No one was God in the flesh. And that's why John is saying, look at him. Look at him. If you'll pay attention to him, if you'll look at him, if you will see him, then you will be transformed. Because you can't help it when you see him and you look at what he's done. This is why I say this often. The only reason I'm a Christian is not because I just went along to the truth claims of my family. No, I studied it. I looked at it. And there's nobody like Jesus. And this is why I press on you a little bit. Well, let's be honest. A lot of bit. When I talk about politics or all these other things. Because watching some of y'all social medias, your favorite politician is like God. Because you have convinced yourself that if your person wins, we're okay. See, some of y'all were triumphant and some of y'all were traumatized by the last election. And some of y'all were triumphant and some of y'all were traumatized by the one before that. Oh my gosh, in 2016, all the Christians that were so afraid. <laughs> and then the two elections before that, it's the Antichrist. Now, I'm not making fun of you. But hear what I'm saying. If you know the Christ, then what are you so afraid of by the anti? Because the Christ is before the anti. In fact, the anti-Christ is so lame, he's only defined by what he's not compared to Jesus. Listen, Christians, if you were so concerned about the state of our country, and don't hear what I'm not saying, I am concerned. But if you were so concerned about it, then you would do what John did next. Look at what he does next. Look at verse 31. He says, I myself did not know him. I'll explain that second in a second. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I'm preaching so hard, my water's falling out of the podium. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. That's what I was talking about earlier. Now, why in the world would John say, I myself did not know him? 
Because I've told you this, and then this is where critical people of the Bible will say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. John is Jesus' cousin. Now, don't hear what John's not saying. John knew that Jesus was his cousin. I'm sure he'd heard those stories. If you don't know the story, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, John's mother, Elizabeth, who was later or older in years, was pregnant with John. When they got together, John leapt in her womb. I'm sure John heard those stories. And Jesus' name in Hebrew is Joshua. So it's like when cousin Josh came over, John leapt. I'm sure John knew that. He had heard that story. He knew about cousin Jesus. But just imagine, here's John baptizing, and then Jesus shows up, and the Spirit shows up, and John's like, whoa, behold him. Because here's what I want you to know about the Spirit. The Spirit is obsessed with Jesus. The Spirit's obsessed with Jesus. And then John says this, I came for this purpose, I came baptizing. For what purpose? To tell everybody, behold him with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John, in that moment, is made aware by the presence of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus really is. Because even though he knew he was his cousin, he didn't know he was the son of God. And in that moment, through the power of the Spirit, he now knows. And then he says, for this purpose, I came. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said, if you're really concerned about the direction of the world, then why don't you tell people about Jesus not your favorite politician. And this is where Christians, we get sideways. And this is what I was talking about. Because you want to know why God made you? He made you for the express purpose to, number one, know Jesus, and number two, make him known. That's why you were made. That's why you were born. That's why John the witness was born, and that's why you were born. John says, I didn't know him, but when I saw the Spirit, I knew, and then for this purpose, I came to make him known. That's what the word reveal means, to make known. Now, he said to Israel, now let me unpack that for a second. Now, Israel was John's people. It was Jesus's people. And by his people, I mean that's his family, right? I mean, Jesus came through the line of David. John was a Levite. Which, interestingly enough, if you were here last week, it said the priests and the Levites came and questioned John, asking him, who are you? So it was John's own tribe that was asking, who are you? Now, a little side note on this. You want to know how you can know you're really being transformed? When those who used to hang with you start asking you, who are you? What happened to you? You used to hang with us. You used to do this with us now. And now you're talking about this crazy cat named Jesus. What, what happened to you? Who are you? And John realizes his purpose, who he is, who he's not. That's what we talked about last week. His purpose was to make Jesus known to his people. That was his purpose. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down because it'll apply to you like this. Every person's purpose is to reveal Jesus to a group of people. Every person's purpose, I can be honest, I'm a little proud of this alliteration on this one, all right, is to reveal Jesus to a group of people. See, Jesus didn't just come to make 
God known to Israel. He started there and then it went out from there, according to Acts 1.8. When he told his apostles, you will be my witnesses. So Jesus came to his people. John came to his people. You go to your people. That's the principle. So let me ask the question. Who is your Israel? Who is your tribe? Who is your group of people? Who is your family line? What is your family story? And how can God use you to witness to Jesus to change the trajectory of that story, of that line? And and let me ask you the second question. Not only who are they, but how are you doing revealing Jesus to them? Now, if you thought I pressed on you a lot a bit, I'm about to press a little more. Let me ask it to you like this. Do those people know that you're a Republican? Do those people know that you're a Democrat? Do those people know that you're a Georgia Bulldog fan? A Georgia Tech fan? God forbid, an Alabama fan or an OU fan? Do they know that? Do they know your favorite restaurant? Do they know that you just got a killer deal at Costco? Do they know that you're upset about the road construction on Highway 20 or when there's a parade going through downtown and you had to sit there for 25 minutes? Do they know what you think about what's going on in the royal family? Do they know all of that? My guess would probably be yes. Why? Because the question is not, are you revealing anything to them? The question is simply what? The question is who? Now, I'm not saying you need to be one of those Christians that always walks around with the cross on your clothes, on your car, and pass out tracts to everybody. Now, are any of those things bad? No. But what I'm saying is you can make him known in a way that is authentic to who you are and is relevant to who they are. Now, is it passing out tracks bad? No, I got one of my great friends here at our church that we eat with, that I, I eat lunch with on, on occasion, and, and we'll go out, and, and I've never seen anybody witness like he does. He engages with the waitress or the waiter. He talks to them, asks them a question, leaves them a big old fat tip, and if they are not as, as interested in a spiritual conversation, we'll leave a track. That is a witness, That is a revealing who Jesus is because that's his purpose and that's yours. And this is where I was saying earlier how the devil has blinded us to the fact of who really brings revolution. It's not your favorite politician. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And God wants you to reveal Jesus to a group of people. You don't have to reveal him to every group of people, because there's no way that you can do that. And then that would de-emphasize the importance of other people, but you can reveal him 
to a group of people. Now, one of my biggest pet peeve phrases is when Christians say junk like this. We want to make Jesus famous. Please don't ever say that again, if you've ever said it. And if you've said it, just repent quietly. You don't have to tell me. Because here's what I want you to know. Jesus doesn't care a lick about whether or not you think he's famous. In fact, I would argue Jesus doesn't want to be famous. Because if you just look at his life, he lived his life the opposite of someone who was trying to be famous. But we have grown accustomed now to celebrityhood, to fame, that all we're all trying to do is to make everybody know us. I mean, we're so self-absorbed, we, cre- we created a new category of pictures called selfies. It's about everybody seeing us. See, Jesus doesn't care about being Famous, And Jesus doesn't want you to make him famous because fame is fleeting. He just wants you to make him known. There's a difference. And and by known, I mean relationally. Because Jesus defines greatness completely different than how we do. Jesus defines greatness not by how much money you have, how much power you have, how many followers you have, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of car you drive, what person you voted for or didn't vote for. Jesus describes greatness not in celebrity status, but in servant status. Jesus didn't come to be a celebrity. He came to be a servant. And so the way that you can make Jesus known is not by you being known, because here's why I hate that phrase. What most people mean by that is, God, make me famous, and I'll tell people about you. Give me a platform, God, and then I'll use my platform. Listen, I'm not saying platforms are bad. I'm standing on one. But the goal is not to get a platform. The goal is to tell people about a person. And then if he gives you one, great. But see, greatness, see, this is how Jesus talked about John, the witness. He said, there has been no other person born of woman greater than John. And here's what's amazing about Jesus, uh, about John. When John was about to be beheaded, he was about to die. His whole life trajectory is going the wrong direction and and everything starts moving towards Jesus. All disciples of John are going to Jesus and John's disciples uh, ask John, hey, everybody's going to Jesus. And here's John's response. Great. He must increase. I must decrease. He says, when the groom shows up, the bride goes to the groom not to the best man. So let me ask you, who's your Israel and how are you doing revealing Jesus to them? Because the measure to which you do that, you will be great in the kingdom of God. The measure, here's what's crazy. The measure to which you do that is the measure to which you will be happy and have fulfillment and joy because you know you are now doing the very thing that you were created to do. By all purposes, John's life was a failure. But by all purposes, he lived the most fulfilling life because he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't and he fulfilled his purpose on earth. See, John's saying, look at Jesus. Last two verses and then we're done. 
I myself did not know him, but he, God the Father, who sent me, now that's a different word than apostle, as we've been talking about, but it's a synonym word. He sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now we'll get into this when we get into John chapter three, but what you need to know now is this, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is meaning born again. You can't be born again without the Spirit. And so what John was saying He's coming, I'm baptizing with water, but he's baptizing with the Spirit because only he can enable you to be born again. Verse 34, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Two parts there. I have seen, I have borne witness. I've seen, I saw the Spirit descend on him. I've beheld his glory, glory of the only son from the father. I have seen him. And then he says, and I have borne witness. So the same two ideas, I'm going to form into two questions. Have you seen him? Have you really looked at him? Have you really paid attention to him? Because when you have seen him, when you have understood him, when you have looked at him and you have beholded him and you have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father who has taken away your sins, you can't help but talk about him. When you have seen him, you can't help but say something about him. And this is where I was getting at. Your neighbors, your family, your Israel, your people, they know what you see. Because you say it. They know what you're frustrated about. They know who you like. They know probably who you voted for. They know where you stand because you say it. But do they know that you've seen Jesus? Do they know that you have come in contact with his spirit and you've been born again? Because the Spirit is obsessed with Jesus. Again, this is another thing that I can't stand when people attach the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they use it as a way to build their own platform. And it's like, hey, know me and I'll tell you about Jesus. No. The Spirit is obsessed with Jesus. The, The Spirit is not, this is why I always say to you, don't get the wrong five letters. It ain't Jason. It's Jesus. The Spirit is here to exalt one person and one person only. Jesus. So if you've seen him, you will say something about him. Another pet peeve phrase of mine, please don't ever say this. People say this phrase, oh, it annoys me. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's necessary to use words. Here's why. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. If you do a kind act for somebody, If if you do an act of generosity and love, great, do that. You should. You're called to do that. But if you don't say anything after that, then what are they going to do? They're going to thank you. They're going to glorify you. And giving somebody food or water is not preaching the gospel. It is doing an act of service. And you should do it. But after you do it, 
When they say thank you, you should say something like this. God has been so gracious and generous to me. God has done for me what I could have never done for myself. So it's only natural that out of that, I would do something for you. So thank God. Sometimes that's all it takes. But it takes words. And this is the part where, and to get it, I get it. It's, it's hard it's nerve-wracking. There are times when I know the Spirit wants me to say something and I just shut my mouth and walk away. Even me as a preacher. I mean, you guys come to hear about Jesus. The line at Publix ain't about listening to Jesus. So I get it. It's nerve-wracking. It's tough. But when you lead out in love and then if they respond and then that's your moment to do something nice or to share or to say something simple about who God is and what he's done for you. It's in that moment, I'm telling you, man, if you'll do that, see Philemon, uh, there's just one chapter, but verse six says, be active in sharing your faith so that you'll know the joy that you have in Jesus. God has intentionally put it there. Why? Because that's what you were made for. That's what you were here for. And, and I get it's nerve wracking, but here's the thing. You don't have a problem telling people all your other opinions. The reason that I know that is because I see your Facebook pages. Because to be honest with you, we don't really care about all those opinions. I'm not saying you can't, you know, cheer for your team. And I'm not saying you can't vote for a politician. But here's all I'm saying. What sign is the biggest sign in your yard? What person, what power, what thing is the biggest thing that you speak about? naturally. Because here's what I know. The Bible says, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So have you seen him? And are you bearing witness to him? Because if you want this world to change, that's how it's going to change. So you can vote for a politician, but keep your savior straight and be clear on what means the most to, to you. Have you seen him? And are you witnessing about him? Let's pray. Father, thank you. First and foremost for Jesus and that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. There is no one like him. He is utterly in a category by himself. Monogenes, there is no one like him. And God, I'll never forget when I was 13 years old and when I saw him because somebody spoke about him. And my heart found its home because you revealed yourself to me. God, there may be some people here today or gathering with us online who have not seen Jesus. They have not looked at, paid attention to, beholded him. They've not been transformed from one degree of glory to another.
pray right now that you would open their eyes to see, as 2 Corinthians 4 says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. There's no one else that can take away their sins. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you have never trusted in Jesus, but today you have seen him because God has opened your eyes to see the truth about who he is, then if you'll confess in faith, you'll be saved. So no one looking around or talking, but if you want to trust Jesus today, right there where you are, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not that this prayer is magical. It's just a confession. You don't have to do it out loud, but to yourself, you can say, Father, thank you so much for loving me that you sent Jesus to save me by taking away my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead and that, to now, that now if I'm in him, I'll be saved. So would you save me, forgive me? Thank you for loving me. Now, if you're in one of our physical locations, again, anybody looking around, if you just trusted Jesus, very simply, you can raise your hand. You can just lift your hand. Thank you. Just lift it up, leave it up just for a minute. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. In just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to fill out a digital connection card so we can have your information and follow up with you. But then those of us who've trusted Jesus, I, I do hope and pray this message was convicting. So much so that you would start speaking differently. You would start telling the group of people that God has called you to behold Jesus. Look at him. Not every thought and opinion you have about somebody was meant to be shared. It would do you well to learn some restraint in what you say. But every person was meant to hear out of your mouth who Jesus is. And the reason why it is necessary, especially on social media, for you and I to use restraint in what we say is because I would never want you to lose influence to tell people about Jesus because they are so concerned about your political affiliation. Because at the end of the day, that don't matter. I promise you, God wants to save people who don't vote like you. So let's, let's make a commitment to say, you know what? It's not that I can never speak about those things, but I will never speak about those things more than I speak about the thing, which is Jesus. Father, would you give us that kind of conviction in our heart because we know there's no one like Jesus. And we know, yes, this world is racing towards hell. This world is post-truth right now but that doesn't change the fact that you're the truth and help us to say it. 
Help us to see you and then say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.